Thank you. All right, good evening, here we go. So this is the sixth installment of Fundamentals of Prayer. And uh, the first five classes we've been discussing primarily the stage of the tefillah, of the Amidah that deals with pra praise of God. So the order that we go is we first praise God and then we move on to make our requests. And we've explained up till now that the idea behind that is we want to first clarify for ourselves, concretize for ourselves the idea that God is in control of everything. God holds the keys to anything that we may need, anything that we may ask for. And once we've really gotten that clear and, 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 uh, and cemented it for ourselves, concretized, concretized it for ourselves, so then when we now move on to make our actual requests in our prayers, it's going to be from a whole different uh, perspective. We now have a firm belief that we are speaking to the one above who can answer our pray prayers, and it will come with a whole different feeling, and it will come from a whole different place in our hearts. And in, you know, as such, it will be also you know, hopefully a more effective prayer. We mentioned a new idea last week that the praise itself actually may be very effective in enacting change. That was a novel idea that we shared from Rabbi Shimshon Pincus, who, who um, basically said that when a person establishes for themselves God's control, God's ability to, to, to answer our prayers, to, 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 to make those, those changes that, that we desire, uh, and we acknowledge God's kindness and God's power and et cetera, then we, God reflects that reality for us. And, and we could almost, he describes taking refuge in God, that it's just that we're taking refuge in that reality, so to speak. And, uh, and then it could just come almost naturally just from the praise itself. That was last week. But that's sort of a new novel idea. But the main idea that we've been focusing on a lot is this idea of building up in our in our minds the clarity of God's control, God's ability to answer our prayers, and now we're ready to actually move on to the next stage of the blessings, starting from the fourth blessing, <clears throat> and talk about um, and and now actually come and make our requests of God for the for the changes that we that we that we hope for. Um, now. What, what should be the first thing that comes to mind? Well, you know, we, we're now making our requests. What should be the first thing that, that we request in our, in our prayers? What's the number one thing? What's the top of the list? So we could, you know, we could consider for ourselves. We could look at the actual Amidah, but we could also go back even further and go back to King Solomon, Shlomo HaMelech, when uh, King Shlomo was granting a request from God, you know, what is it that you desire? What do you ask for? What was the first thing that he asked for? So if we, this is in, in, in Malachim, in Kings chapter three, Kings one, actually I, in, my, in my Navi class, in my class on prophets on Sunday mornings, we're actually about to start this chapter. So, uh, so in, 
in Malachim 1, in Kings 1, chapter 3. So God appears to King Solomon, to King Shlomo, in a dream. And he says, ask what you desire, and I shall give it to you. This is on the source sheet, source number one. And Solomon said, and he, he gives a whole introduction. He talks about all the kindnesses that God has done. You know, he praises God, like, like we've been talking about. Um, even though here God initiated and said, what, what is it that you're looking for? Still, he, he praises God, all of that, all that you've done for my, for my father and for me. And, uh, and he says, you know, now I'm, I'm the king, but I'm young, I'm, I'm inexperienced. <clears throat> and this is what I ask for. And it comes in verse nine and he says, so therefore give your servant an understanding heart to judge. In the Hebrew, it's lev shomea lishpot, a heart that listens, a heart that understands, that can judge your nation, that I may discern between good and bad. To, to discern between good and bad. Who, can, who is able to judge your great people? So obviously he was in a bit of a different situation than us. But, and, and he explains that he's asking for, for wisdom, for understanding, in order to be able to, to judge the people. But everybody is constantly making judgments. Our whole life is... Uh, is full of judgment calls and decisions. And, uh, and for us as well, the, we see from, 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 from the order of the Shmonasre of the, of the Amidah prayer that this is the, the starting point. This is the number one thing to ask for is the wisdom and the understanding to discern and to, 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 to really have a sense of what, what it is we need to do. When the Shulchan Arach, the code of Jewish law, brings down this law, that this is the first of the, of the series of, of the requests part of the tefillah. So he says that uh, this, is, this, is, this is number one. First of all, he says, this is what distinguishes us from animals. This is what makes us human, is our intellect. This is what makes us unique. But then he goes on and he says that without real understanding, there's no tefillah. You can't move on and now request anything. You can't, you can't really daven, pray, unless you have wisdom and understanding. And the idea could be that without the, without the, the knowledge, without the wisdom, we won't know how to pray. But also we won't know what to pray. We won't know what's important, what's important to ask for, What's unimportant, the, uh, the Mishnah Brura, which is the, one of the main commentaries to the Shulchan Aruch, the Code of Jewish Law. So he says that, uh, that this is the, the main thing. This is the main thing to ask for, the knowledge, the wisdom to know how to walk on a straight path, to know what to, what's, what's right and what's wrong. And so following in the footsteps of King Shlomo, this is going to be the very first thing that we request in the Shemona Esrei is the wisdom and the knowledge to be able to make the right decisions, to distinguish right from wrong and thereby fulfill our, our purpose in life. If we, if we don't have that uh, ability to discern, the ability to make the right decisions, then we won't be able to... Uh, to, to accomplish our, our, our mission, 
And uh, so, so this is the, the underpinning of success really in anywhere in life, but certainly in our, in our purpose in this world is only through our ability to make the right decisions. So this is where we start. We start by asking God for, for wisdom, for understanding, but we'll see that in, you know, in English, I'm throwing out words. Uh, I'm just kind of using them interchangeably. Wisdom, knowledge, um, you could say uh, intelligence, intellect, a lot of different words. I, I don't necessarily know the difference between some of them. I'm sure there's subtle, subtle differences. In Hebrew, we also have a number of, of different words to describe ideas associated with knowledge and understanding. And uh, to understand the, the first blessing of the requests, which is the fourth blessing, to understand the blessing that we're about to look at, we really have to know our terminology when it comes to the, the different Hebrew terms. So for example, we have a word, which is probably more familiar to, to, familiar to all of us, which is like chacham, chachma. You know, chachma is often translated as wisdom. Now what's wisdom? Being wise, being smart. Okay, but we'll have to see if we could get, you know, a better, a better translation, a better definition for that, for that word. We have a, a word called bina. Bina is often translated as understanding, but that also needs a further definition. We have a word da'as, da'at, knowledge, we say. But again, what's, what's wisdom, what's knowledge, what's understanding? What are, what are all these terms? So we actually find these terms in the Torah in context of one, of one another in one verse. Um, probably more than once, but one example that I gave on the source sheet is, uh, is in Shemos chapter 31. This is actually describing Bitzalel. Bitzalel was in charge of building the, the Mishkan, the tabernacle in the, in the desert. And he's described, it says, God says, I have imbued him with the spirit of God, with Chachma, with Tivuna. Tivuna is the same root as Bina. So we might call it Bina, but it's the same thing. Chachma, Tivuna, and with Das. And also with talent for all manner of craftsmanship. But we're focusing on those three words, Chachma, Bina, or Tivuna, and Das. And I deliberately didn't translate them here because... If I say, you know, knowledge, understanding, wisdom, understanding, and knowledge, we're not going to really know what, they, what those things mean. We have to really give a definition for, for, for these words. So Rashi, primary commentary on the Torah, gives us a definition based on earlier sources. Rashi says that what is Chachma? What a person hears from others and learns. So Chachma is actually maybe better translated as knowledge. It's acquired knowledge. It's something that I read, something that I heard, and I can now shoot it back to you. Maybe you could call it, you know, uh, book knowledge. Then we have tivuna. So Rashi interprets that with his intellect, he understands other things based on what he learned, meaning the ability to extrapolate to build on something. The word tivuna and the word bina are from the same root as binyan or bonet, which is you know, from the root to build. 
So Bina is actually the ability to build on something that I know. So I hear something and now I can extrapolate, I can build on it. I could take, I can find the, the, the core ideas, the fundamental principles and apply them in other areas. And then with Da'as, so Rashi here gives a more, you know, just something that's harder to relate to, less defined, Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, something divinely inspired. So we might apply other, other definitions to that. They also work from other sources, although they're all gonna be inter, interrelated. So just to give a, uh, an example, um, an example, so a person attends a class and if the person can repeat what they learned as they, as they heard it, so that is chachma. That's knowledge, that's book knowledge, or in this case, class knowledge. It's something that I heard or something that I read, and now I could repeat it over. The, the next level, if I can now take what I learned, and like I described before, understand the fundamentals, understand the principles behind it, apply them in other areas, that's bina. Now, what is das? What's the third level? The third level, which Rashi here says is, is Ruach HaKodesh, Holy Spirit, but Let's give something more relatable. So Das is, and, and uh, Rashi in a different place actually gives a different def definition. Rashi somewhere else says one word, Yishuv, which means like settling, literally. Like it settles in. That's our Rashi, something that settles in. And what it, what it means, Das, this third level, is when the ideas that we know in our minds settle into our hearts. They become integrated, assimilated into us. You know, I can know something, but it won't, it, it, it's just something I know, but it doesn't affect me. It doesn't, it, it, it's, it, it's not, not a part of me. Das is when it, uh, it becomes a part of me. The word, that, that root actually is often associated with connection. So for example, sometimes in the Torah, it describes two people being married or having relations at, with this word Bayeda, and they knew each other, right? And and he knew her. What what does that mean? He knew her. So the, the so so the idea of this word das is actually connection. So when what we've learned now can we connect to it? When we in, it becomes integrated with us. So that is that is das. When we can now live our life based on what we've learned and what we've even extrapolated, but then it becomes a part of us, that's das, that's the th this third level. Um, now, according to this though, the order should always be first chachma, first you get the, the knowledge, the book knowledge, the information, then bina, where you extrapolate and you build on it, and then das, and then it settles in, after that. But we also find sometimes, and in this blessing in particular, as we'll see, that it lists das first. Now, if das is only after you've learned something, you assimilate it, then how could it come first? So the answer is that there's another, another application of das. There's another way or scenario where we can have the, some knowledge that's integrated, that's assimilated. And, and that is when it's intuitive. 
something that is natural, something that's intuitive. We just know it. Everybody knows it. So it could be logic, you know, something logical could be intuitive. It could be intuitive values, certain values that everybody agrees on. So that can also be das. It's a, it is integrated. It's assimilated. It's, it's a part of us, not because it's something that we, that we were taught, not something that we were able to apply, but it's just something that we know, we know intuitively. And uh, so, so we can also talk about das in, in that sense. So, and again, that's because it's das means connection. It's something we connect with, it's something we integrate. It's already integrated, it's, it's intuitive. It's a part of us. So that comes at the beginning, right? That's like the first thing, intuitive knowledge, intuitive logic. So das can actually be at either end. Das could be something that's intuitive. It's a part of us because we just know it. It could also be a part of us because it's something that we that we learned and we and and we didn't just learn it, but we assimilated it. We we allowed it to we inc to become inculcated within our our minds and our hearts. So so now let's try to read this blessing. So if you have the the sheet, the first uh, page, the liturgy in the middle. So ata chonein adam daas. It means that you, here the translation I gave is favor. Really, I just took that from the translation that I took it from. Chonein really comes, is related to the word chinam. Chinam means free. So if you, if you, uh, yeah. So in, uh, you know, in Israel, you'll have it all over. You know, chinam, this is free. This is, or zol, it's cheap. Chinam means free. So the word chonein, which is a verb, means like to, to, to give freely. So here they translate it as favor. I think also a good translation is grace. You grace us with this. In other words, you give it graciously, you give it freely. What is it that God gives us freely? That's das. That's the intuitive, intuitive knowledge. And this God gives to everyone. God gives everybody some amount of intuitive logic, some amount of intuitive values. And here we're in this stage even though we're, I know we're up to requests now, we're about to make requests, but this line is still praising. So even within our requests, often we'll go through, we'll have to, we'll see within each blessing, but we, we may even first praise God and then make a request within the, 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 the specific idea that we're focusing on now. So here we start actually by still praising God. We say, God, you grace freely all people with das, with intuitive logic, intuitive knowledge. And bina. And you teach mankind bina. And bina, we said, is you give all mankind the ability to take the, that, those intuitive values, intuitive ideas, and apply them, extrapolate, build on them. The things that we that come naturally to us, we can then build on. And this is praise of God, and it's for everyone. It's true of, of, of all human beings. All human beings have to different extents, but but so intuitive values, intuitive knowledge, intuitive logic, and the ability to take that and build from it. And that's a praise of God. But now we now make our request and we say. Grant us, and again, this is the same root of chinam, grace us, give us freely, grant us 
freely because that's how it is. It's, 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 uh, we're asking that God just give it to us, grant us from you. We recognize that any knowledge, any wisdom will come, comes from you, God. Grant us from you three things, Deya, Bina, and Haskell. Haskell is a new one. Deya might be a new one. It might not be. In other words, it's the same root as the word Da'as, which we've discussed already, although it's a slightly different word, Deya. It, I couldn't tell you grammatically what the difference is, but it, it, there's a different letter there. That The last letter is different. One ends with Taf or Saf, Da'at, Da'as, and this ends with Hey, Deya. It's pronounced slightly differently. So, so some understand though that it's the, it doesn't mean something different here. It still means that basic knowledge, you know, we're, we're praying God, please give us those, those intuitive values that, that, that you grant everyone with. Grant, grace us with those intuitive, um, in, that intuitive logic, as well as Bina, the ability to extrapolate from that. And Haskell is, the ability to arrive at the right conclusions. Haskell sometimes is used to mean like success. Um, we should be successful. In other words, we should, we should reach the right place from this knowledge and from these extrapolations. There is another, another way to, to explain this. And this is, this is how Rav Shimon Schwab explains it, that what we're asking now, when we say now, chanenu, grace us, you know, previously we said, you endow all mankind with basic knowledge, you endow all mankind with the ability to extrapolate. But now we're asking, now we're asking for, um, for something just for us, chanenu, grace us, grace the Jewish people with deya. Is deya the same as das? So Reb Schwab suggests that it's different. The verse he points to is a verse in, um, in Isaiah, in Yeshaya. The verse there says that it says, Himala ha'aretz deya es Hashem, that the, the, the world is filled with deya of God. So deya is knowledge of God. It's not just knowledge in general, not just intuitive knowledge, it specifically refers to knowledge of God. So we, we, what we're requesting over here is grant us knowledge of Hashem and Bina. Bina, we said is application, the ability to apply what we learned, but it's specifically talking about the ability to apply and extrapolate from the Torah. This is specifically for us. So it specifically refers to Torah. And, uh, and, and Torah knowledge, and to take the values, take what we learn in the Torah and be able to apply it in our lives and apply it to different situations, extrapolate from those principles and apply them. Now, Rabbi Schwab points out something interesting. He says that, that throughout all of, of, the, of Tanakh, of the book of Torah, of prophets and everywhere, these, the order actually sometimes switches off. Sometimes Deya can be before Bina, and sometimes Bina can be before Deya. So sometimes knowledge of God can come before understanding of Torah, 
And sometimes understanding of Torah can come before knowledge of God. And the idea is that sometimes it's our knowledge of God that leads us to seek out Torah. And sometimes it's the opposite. Sometimes it's, our, it's, it's the inspiration of Torah that leads us to seek out knowledge of God. But either way here, we're asking for God's assistance and you know, to, to grace us with the, with the ability to find, you know, to, to find that truth, to find that knowledge of God and to find that, uh, that, that understanding of Torah, the ability to extrapolate the values and the principles in, in the Torah. And then we say Vahaskel, which again, in, in this line of thinking, it still means you know, success, draw, coming to the right conclusions, applying the, the wisdom properly in, in life situations. So, so we, 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 we pray for the ability to, to, to inculcate the values of, of Torah and, but, and, and to be able to extrapolate those values and apply them. And then we, we, we pray the Haskell that it should be successful that we should arrive at the at the right the right conclusions, and we close the blessing. Baruch Atah Hashem, blessed are you, God, or you are the source of all blessing, as we've as we've said before. God, you are the source of all blessing, and here we go back to Chonein Hadas, the grantor, the one who graces us with Das. Das again is those basic intuitive knowledge. So here we go back to the praise that applies to the, to everyone. As we started off, we conclude that, that we praise God again for granting everybody a certain level of intellect, a certain level of, of intuitive knowledge and in, intuitive logic and intuitive values. And that's our closing praise because that's the most, the, has the, the, the wide, widest application and, uh, and applies to, to all people. So that's the... Uh, the blessing for, for wisdom, for, for knowledge, for, for, again, those English words don't necessarily do it justice, but uh, we, we, we praise God for, for the intuitive knowledge that he grants us. We praise God for granting us the ability to, to extrapolate from that intuitive knowledge. And then we, 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 we pray, we request. What is our request? Our request is that we can have a knowledge of God. Our request is that we can take the Torah's values and apply them. And our request is that we can apply them properly in life. And that will hopefully put us, put us on the right path in, uh, in our lives, which leads us right into the next blessing. And the next blessing is where we now recognize, you know, we now, we've achieved that knowledge. We've achieved that clarity, hopefully, of the direction that we need to take. And at that moment, we realize that maybe there are certain areas that we need to improve in. None of us is perfect. We all have areas that, that we, can, we can improve. And uh, we all are, you know, constantly need to do teshuva, need to return to God. And so the next blessing, the fifth, the fifth blessing is all about teshuva, about returning to God. And here I want to raise a, uh, a fundamental question. We're going to now pray to God, just a quick, you know, translation for now, you know, cause us to return to your Torah, bring us near to your service, 
bring us back wholeheartedly before you. Blessed are you who desires repentance. So we're, we're asking God to assist us in returning to him. Can we pray for that? Can we really pray for um, assistance, for God to help us in our spiritual development? Or should that really just be on us? You know, we are granted free will in this world. We're put in this world specifically so that we are challenged to make the right choices and to draw ourselves close to God. So maybe one could argue that you, you can't pray that God help you get close to him, return to him, do teshuva, repent. You got to do that on your own. That's your free will. And just to, to add to that question, what about praying for someone else? Can I pray for someone else's spiritual welfare? Can I pray that somebody else return to God? Now, the, 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 the blessing is in the plural. The blessing is in the hashivenu, return us. So we seem to be praying not just for ourselves, but for others. Although you could maybe say, well, you're praying for yourself. You're just throwing others in, but maybe praying for others on their own may be different. Sue. Um, you sort of can. Um, I, I mean, this. If I were to, if you're asking in my opinion, ultimately it's our choice in action. But once that first step is made, we can certainly ask for um, support. You know, from in, internal support to keep going. Um, okay. Excellent. Oh God, that maybe we hope well for other people that we hope that they'll find it in themselves to make a, the right choice in whatever they're facing. Okay. Excellent. So you're, yeah, you're, you're right on, right on target. Sue is saying that we are taking the first step there. So maybe that is us exercising our free will. So Let's we're going to go and head in that direction, but let's let's take a look at some of the some of the important sources to in order to get us there. So, if you look on your source sheet, um, start with uh, the Talmud in Brachos thirty three b. It says as follows: Rabbi Chanina said, "Everything is in the hands of heaven, except for fear of heaven." In, in the Hebrew, it's hakol bidei shamayim. Everything is in the hands of heaven. Chutz, except for yiras shamayim, fear of heaven. And they explain here in, in, on the source sheet, the bold is a is a uh, direct quote, and the non-bold is the uh, the is 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 uh, explanation. Um, yeah, question. I, I see a hand raised. How do I call on you? Oh, there, ask to unmute. Oh. All right. Um, so everything is in the hands of heaven, except for fear of heaven. And they explain man has free will to serve God or not. As it is stated, the verse says, now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you other than to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all of his ways, to love him and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul? So actually, it asks for quite a bit. 
which the commentaries discuss, right? What does God ask you except you fear the Lord, to walk in his ways, to love him, to serve him? Not, not so little, but that's, that's a different question. But, uh, but what it's telling you is this is all that God asks. In other, and, and it's telling you that, that God asks this of us. This is in our hands. And, uh, and everything else is out of our hands. What does that mean? So Rashi, in his commentary there, we're number three on the source sheet. Rashi says, all that occurs to a person is in the hand of God. For example, tall or short, rich or poor, wise or unwise, light or dark, it is all in the hands of heaven. But righteous or wicked does not come from the heavens. This was given into the hands of man. He or she is given two paths, and he or she has to choose fear of heaven. In other words, like I said before, the whole purpose of creation can only be fulfilled if we have the free will to choose between right and wrong. We can only achieve our mission, be in control of our ability to come close to God if we have our testing in the world, if we have free will. So, so the, the, the Gemara, the Talmud is telling us here that everything is really out of our hands. You know, we may, it may seem like it's in our hands. We may have to take certain steps, but ultimately God will decide whether we're rich or we're poor, etc. But God leaves it totally up to us whether we're righteous or wicked. He does not get involved in that. He does not block us from becoming righteous. He does not uh, block us from becoming wicked. That is entirely in our hands. That's what this is teaching us. So, so this really would maybe be a reason to say that you can't pray that God make you righteous, that God bring you back to him, that God return you to, to him. It's, uh, that it's, it's, in, it's only in our hands. It's not in his hands. That's what this passage seems to indicate. But we know that that's not the case. We know that we could pray for it. First of all, because we have a blessing that we're about to learn in the Amidah where we ask for it. But also we see many other sources that imply that. So for example, in source number four here, I quote a couple of, of verses from Tehillim, from Psalms, where it says, the first one says in chapter 25, direct me with your truth and teach me for you are the God of my salvation. I hope for you all day long. So we're in, in the Hebrew, it's Hadri Chaini, you know, direct me, set me in the right direction, God, set me on the right course. So we're praying that God help us that God set us in the right on the right path in life. And again, in, in chapter 119, we have a series of verses here. Instruct me, O Lord, in the way of your statutes, and I shall keep it at every step. Instruct me in the way of your statutes. Enable me to understand, and I shall keep your Torah, and I shall keep it wholeheartedly. Lead me in the path of your commandments. Extend my heart to your testimonies. So again, prayer, 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 all, you know, asking God to set us in the, in the right direction, to guide our hearts towards him and on his path. So it's very clear from hearing many other places in Tehillim that we could pray for our uh, spiritual welfare. Um, now, what about, what about praying for others? Can we pray for others? So, you know, Sue mentioned something before. Sue said that we're taking the first step. It's 
but maybe, but, but if I'm taking the first step, I'm using my free will, but if I'm praying for someone else, that person's not applying their free will. So maybe that's different. Maybe I can't pray for someone else to, for their spiritual welfare, for them to return to God. But we see actually a very explicit passage in the Talmud that indicates that we can. So it says, again, in Brachos, is on the top of the second page, source number five. The, the, the Gemara says there were hooligans in Rabbi Meir's neighborhood who caused him a great deal of anguish. Rabbi Meir prayed for God to have mercy on them that they should die. So it doesn't sound merciful, but for somebody who's, who's sinning, then maybe it is merciful because they won't sing anymore. Now, Rabbi Meir had a very wise wife. And her name was Bruria. And Bruria said to him, Rabbi Mayer, what, what are you thinking? On what basis do you pray for the death of these hooligans? Do you base yourself on the verse that's written, let sins cease from the land, let sins cease from the land, which you interpret to mean that the world would be, would be better if the wicked were destroyed. But she said, does it say, is it written, let sinners seize? Yitamu chotim, let the sinners seize? No, it says, yitamu chataim, the sins should seize, not the sinners. Meaning, she told him that one should pray for an end to the sins, not for an end to the sinners. And she said, moreover, go to the end of the verse. The end of the verse says, and the wicked will be no more. Rishaim od enam. Um, now, if it means, if, as you suggest, transgressions shall cease, refers to the demise of the evildoers, how is it possible that the wicked will be no more, i.e. that they will no longer, that they will no longer be evil? Meaning, if, I, I guess what she's saying is that if they cease to be, that doesn't mean that they're no longer evil, right? It's supposed to say, there's no more wickedness, but you didn't really get rid of the wickedness. You just ended their life. As opposed to if you actually uproot the wickedness while they're still alive, then you're getting rid of wickedness. So anyways, that was, that was her argument. Don't pray for the death of the sinners. Pray for the end of their sins. So that's what she says. Rather pray for God to have mercy on them that they should repent. And if they repent, then the wicked will be no more. So Rabbi Meir saw that she was correct. And he prayed for God to have mercy on them, and they repented. So Rabbi Meir prays for these uh, baryoni, these hooligans, these no-goodniks in his neighborhood, and, uh, and they repent. So you see from here quite clearly that, uh, that you could pray for a person, for another person to repent and to return. So the question, though, still is, on both levels, how? how? How how is it that we can pray for ourselves? How is it that we can pray for others? What happened to free will? What happened to everything is in the hands of heaven except for fear of heaven, except for our free will to choose to choose right from wrong in our lives. So the Maharsha, Rabbi Shmuel Idols who lived in the 16th century and has a commentary on the Talmud. Um, actually, interestingly, his, uh, his 
last name, I guess the name that he, I don't know how much last names were in use, but the, the name that he, that he, that the surname that he used, Shmuel Idols, was actually Idols, was, Idol was his mother's name. Um, and he, uh, he, he took her name as his last name in gratitude to his, his sorry, not his mother, his, I think his mother-in-law, to his mother-in-law for her support of, uh, of, of him and, and his wife and, and allowing him to, I guess, uh, you know, continuing his, in his Torah studies. So in gratitude, he took her, he took her, her name as his last name. So Rav Shmuel Idols, the Maharsha, he says, I don't really understand this passage in the Talmud. How could it be that Rabbi Meir was able to pray for others? And in the course of asking that question, he answers our other question. He says, I understand how one can pray for themselves. How can one pray for themselves? So it's based on another concept. Number six on the sources, Reish Lakish said, this is a Talmud in Yoma. Reish Lakish said, what is the meaning of that which is written? It's a verse in Proverbs in Mishle. It says, if it concerns the scorners, he scorns them, but to the humble, he gives grace. It says, God scorns the scorners and gives grace to the humble. So Reish Lakish explains that what it means is if one comes to impurify, meaning to sin, they open before him the opportunity to exercise his free will and do as he pleases. So in the actual Talmud just says they open before him. So, so if somebody wants to do bad in the world, then, then you know, God doesn't intervene in that necessarily. I mean, sometimes he does, but, 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 but on its own, on its head, God's not, doesn't get, a person has the, you know, has the free will. That's our free will. Our free choice is to choose between good and evil. If a person chooses evil, God is not necessarily going to get in their way. But if one comes to purify, they assist him. So actually, it's not just that God, if you come to purify, if you come to do good, God doesn't get in your way. The Talmud says, actually, God actually helps you. God assists you. In the Hebrew, it's habali taher mitarinoso. Somebody who comes to purify, somebody who comes to, to improve. So we, so, so God purifies him. God assists in that. And the Talmud gives a beautiful parable to explain it. It says, in the school of Rabbi Ishmael, it was taught with regard to this verse. This is comparable to the case of a man who was selling both crude naphtha, neft, whose odor is vile, and balsam, whose fragrance is pleasant. So basically, a guy is selling some like, you know, terrible smelling tar or something, and he's also sell, or some kind of that oil, whatever it is, and he's also selling perfumes, balsam. So somebody comes to buy, and he wants to buy the 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 foul-smelling tar, so the naphtha. So he comes to the store. So the the merchant says, "It's it's right over there. You go go ahead and measure it, because he doesn't want to get near it. He doesn't want to get involved. You you go you go measure it. He wants to keep his distance." But if the guy comes to measure balsam or he comes to measure perfume, so then the merchant says, oh, wait for me until I can measure it with you. I'm going to come right over there so I can experience the good smell of the perfume. So as it explains on the second to last line here, similarly with regard to sin, God merely provides an opening. He says, okay, you want to sin? I'm not going to stop you. It's over there. You know, it's, it's your free will. You could go get it. 
I'm not going to stop you. I'm also not going to help you measure it out, though. I'm not, I'm not going to be there to assist you. But with regards to mitzvahs, with regards to good deeds, so that's like the perfume. That's like the balsam. God says, I'm, I'm right there with you. I'm there to assist you in, uh, in measuring that out. I'm there to assist you. I'm there to get involved. If somebody comes to purify themselves, then they, God assists in their purification. So says the Maharsha says, Shmuel idols. That's the idea of praying for our own spiritual success, because that is habalitayr. That's somebody coming to purify themselves. That's someone who wants they 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 want to get in the right direction in life. They want to get onto the right course, and they 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 take the first step. The first step is to decide on it, or even to pray to God. To, for assistance to help us in that in that direction in life, and so if we are we we are using our free choice, we're using our free choice to choose the direction and to choose to pray to God for assistance, and so that's fine, that works. But the Marsha Rabbi Shmuel Idols, he's not sure how to explain this passage in the Talmud of Rabbi Meir and the hooligans. How could you pray for someone else? They're not using their free will to take that first step. They're not exercising their free will. How can one pray for someone else's spiritual success? So Rabbi Shmuel Idols left it off as a question. Um, and uh, and he, he, doesn't, he doesn't give an answer. More recently, um, one of the, the great rabbis of the, of, our, of the previous generation, Rabbi Avram Yeshaya Karelitz, also known as the Chazon Ish, who first lived in, in Vilna, I believe, and then emigrated to Israel um, in like the, I think in the, in the 30s maybe, and uh, in the 1930s. And, uh, and he was a leader of, of, of the Jewish people throughout the foundation of the state of Israel and, uh, and you know, beyond that. And uh, tremendous, tremendous scholar. And he, he had an approach to this. He's not addressing the question directly. He's, he's actually discussing something else. But he writes that it's true. God gives each person free will. But he says a person is able to affect another person's free will um, in terms of directing him towards, towards God, towards observance towards mitzvos, and uh, it's not considered taking away that person's free will. Why not? He says be, something novel. He says, because all of Israel is like one person, really, right? Like we have the concept at Sinai, like one man, like one heart. There's a concept that all, all of our souls are all linked. We're all like one, one person, one being, and, and therefore, as, as long as someone is exercising free will, someone is approaching God in prayer, even if it's on behalf of another person, they can affect that other person. There is an exercise of free will being, you know, occurring over here. And we're all one, we're all responsible for each other. And one person can take responsibility for others and, and can pray for others. And he actually, in that passage, he's describing how if only... You know, some of the, the if, if only the greats would 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 just pray for, for others, the, the effects could be 
could be you know profound and uh, <clears throat> and we see from here that uh, that that a person can direct someone you know there's other things that direct people to to to, to do mitzvos to, to do the right thing and it's also could be an ulterior um, impetus you know a person could do something good for the wrong reasons for money for fame but at the end of the day they're doing something good it's not as pure that you know if the motive isn't pure it's not as pure of a mitzvah but if they're doing a good thing then it's still a good thing even for the wrong motive usually so 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 here it's, I, mean, I wouldn't say it's the wrong motive but it's 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 not a pure motive it's it's not even from them it's from someone else it's the impetus is coming from god but it's really coming from someone else's free will who is praying for them and so that's would be the explanation of 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 this passage in the talmud it's very clear from the talmud that we can pray for others that's what rabbi mayor did rabbi mayor prayed for these other people these these hooligans and uh and they repented they changed their lives as a result and so and that is because we are all connected as long as someone is exercising free will they can they can affect and impact another person so now let's just take a look in the final moments at this blessing in the shmona Asrei, the blessing of teshuva of repentance so now we have the wisdom the knowledge the understanding of what direction we should take. So we realize that our actions aren't always up to par. We all have room to improve. And we pray, Return us, our Father, to your Torah. So return us to the, the precepts of your Torah, to an appreciation of, of, of what the Torah is and how it should impact our lives and and uh, direct our lives. So, so bring us back. And we refer to God here as our father. In this blessing and the next blessing is, are the only places that we, in, in, in the Amidah, that we refer to God as Avinu, as our father. And, uh, and in this context, it's, it's with regards to Torah. And that could be because a father shares his greatest treasure with his with his with his children and so when we're, we're we're saying god share your torah with us return us to your torah we say avinu our father share your great treasure with us the other idea the other reason maybe why we invoke the word the name the, the word my father our father in this context is in the context of tshuva the idea of a father and a son or, a, or of children is that no matter how far they stray a father will always welcome his children back. And so in the context of, of repentance, of teshuva, so that's where we, we refer to God as our father. And then the next blessing, which will also have to do with, with um, forgiveness, is the next blessing also there also. We refer to him as, as our father because no matter how far we stray, he'll always welcome, welcome us back. Um, and then we say, v'karveinu malkeinu la'avodasecha. Vikarvenu, bring us near Malkenu, our king, Laavoda Secha to your service. So Avoda, as we've learned, is service of God, often referring to tefillah. Earlier, you know, maybe it referred to the to the offerings. So this could be a prayer to return us to, to be able to, to offer offerings in the temple. But most simply for us, it's bring us near to your service. 
Here we refer to, to God because we're talking about service. I mean, sorry, we refer to him as king, our king, not our father, because here we're talking about us as servants and, and, and in service of God. And, uh, but, but avoda as prayer is karvenu, bring us close, bring us near, bring us into, the, to, into your inner chamber. For, for, for when, when we engage in tefillah, in prayer, and when we engage in it properly, we become near to God. So we're, we're saying, God, help us with that. Bring us near to you in our avoda, in our service of you, in our tefillah. And finally, then we say, and return us, bring us back in wholehearted repentance. There should be, um, bring us back in wholehearted, should say repentance, I think. Um, <clears throat> before you. Bring us back in wholehearted repentance. Um, teshuva, one definition, what is teshuva? Teshuva means to return. And the idea is that we are, teshuva means returning to God from a distance that's been created by us, by our actions, by our sins, by not always living up to our potential. We create a distance by, by, by our choices, by what we do, by what we don't do. We create a distance and teshuva means to return. We created a, a, a distance between us and now we, we pray to God, bring us near to you with complete teshuva, with complete repentance, sincere and pure, with no ulterior motives, bring us before you. And we conclude, blessed are you, Hashem. Again, you are the source of all blessing. Who desires teshuva. He desires us to return to him. Because ultimately, God, God wants us to be close to him. God wants our, our, our repentance. And that's why he will assist us. It's the, the perfume, right? It's that... that Habalitar, one who comes to purify themselves, one who enters the perfume shop and, and wants to buy the perfume, the, 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 the merchant wants to be there right with them to, to sell them the perfume. If we want to come close to God, God is there to assist us. God wants us to, to return to him. Um, we'll just close with, I think, repeating an idea that we've, we've, I mentioned in a previous class. Um, I told a story, you may remember, about, uh, about a, a, a guy, a secular Israeli, who, uh, who gets pulled in for a minion. They need a tenth man to pray, and they, they, they yank him in. And he, you know, at first, he, he, he refuses. He doesn't want to come. And uh, they convince him. And actually, he's very inspired by this. And uh, that begins his, his return to, uh, he was totally secular, didn't know anything, grew up in a, in a completely secular community in Israel where they taught nothing, taught nothing of Torah, nothing of God, and, uh, and he didn't know anything. And that, be, that, that began his return to, to Jewish life. And, uh, and his, his, his father, um, who was very anti-religious and anti-religion, anti was distraught over this, but even more so his community, his friends were like, you know, where did you go wrong? How did you let this happen? And, and the father said, I'll tell you, it had nothing to do with me. What it had to do with was that that synagogue that he got pulled into, that's the synagogue where my father used to pray. And I, who knows how many, how much, how many prayers my father spilled out that I should stay on the path 
and not become secularized as I did. And although the prayers didn't work for me, so they, they, they apparently they worked for my, for my son and he, that's why he returned. And uh, in a similar vein, actually the Chazanish said this, there was a great movement um, in the fifties of, uh, of again, people coming off of the kibbutzes completely secular and going and beginning to study Torah seemingly out of nowhere. And when they asked the Chazanish why this is happening, he said that the reason it's happening is because these, their grandparents spilled tears that their children should remain on the Jewish path. And, uh, and it didn't work for their children because their children were set on, uh, on secularizing and, and leaving a path of observance. But, uh, but now those prayers are taking effect on their, on their grandchildren. So the last time we, we used it to bring out the idea that no prayer is ever lost, no prayer is ever wasted. They can, you know, many generations, many years later, generations later, even sometimes that prayer can have its effect. And uh, we also see from the story, what we're bringing out today that we can pray for our own spiritual success and we should. And uh, that's often the first step in, uh, in improving ourselves is once we know the direction we need to go in praying for divine assistance, for divine help. And we can also pray for others that they receive divine help in finding a path back to God. I'll hold there. Thank you, Rabbi Sheps. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.